0: The Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times Podcast. I'm Christian Napier, joined, as always, by the man. Well, you're not in purple. Are you in purple? You are in purple, but you are are very stylishly wearing this blazer on the, on the purple shirt. Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing so well. Good to be with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm attempting to match my background to my shirt. It's not quite showing up on the screen. A little kind of baby blue this time. Yeah, I usually do wear purple, though. Maybe it's burned in your retina, and that's why you're seeing that. Yeah, like, a, like I have OLED eyeballs. That I've got a burn <laughs> in, in my, in my retina as well, Spencer. Uh, it's now after Thanksgiving, so I have to ask, how was your Thanksgiving? You know, it, it was really interesting. You know, last time we talked, we were talking about hopefully getting together. And, and I was talking about how I was talking to executives and they were frustrated because of people in California couldn't meet with family. And a lot of people just lost motivation. I'm like, well, that's not me. Well, a couple of days after that, I got a, I got a text from somebody that had, I had been with at church. We were wearing masks and everything. We were doing some work. And he said that he had been diagnosed positive with COVID. So based on CDC guidelines, I had to quarantine. I went and took a test. And so we had to cancel all our our plans. It was my son, my wife. And that's a little heartbreaking, right? I mean, you you almost lose the motivation to make the big dinner. And and I got my results back on Thanksgiving morning at 7 a.m. saying negative. And so I was like, oh, man. So that, for me, was a little frustrating because, you know, keeping it real, we, we missed it. How, but how were your activities and celebrations? Uh, well, it was very, very
0: small. But I, bef- before I dive into that, I, I have to ask, what did you have for Thanksgiving dinner then? I mean,
1: you have a bowl of raisin bran or something? I mean, no, we did everything. So our family, everyone had their assignment. They were going to bring it over. We made homemade stuffing. Jenna made an amazing turkey. I do the potatoes. I make the pumpkin pie. And that's every year I do that. And then she made incredible yams and and apples. It's, you know, not the candy, but it's really buttery and awesome. Really good. That was, uh, and, you know, beans. And what else did we have? Gosh, that was, that was enough. I mean, we had, we still, I had that for lunch again today. Well, it sounds delicious.
0: Sounds absolutely delicious for us. Uh, yes, we just had four people in, in our little, very small Thanksgiving uh, group, and we did have the traditional dinner. Um, my wife made the turkey. I made the potatoes. She makes the stuffing. My daughter made the pies. Uh, and it was uh, it was nice. It was very, very simple. We just uh, polished off the last of our leftovers today. And so now we're back to normal food again. But I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of the year, even though it was a little non-traditional this year. It was still really, really nice to be with our with our small family and, and enjoy the enjoy a meal.
1: Yeah, you know, it was uh, it, it was strange. But this week, even though I had I was supposed to quarantine, I went up into the Uintas with Jana after I took my test because I couldn't find anywhere to actually give the test, right? And because I wanted to see if I could possibly get it in time for Thanksgiving. So we went all the way up to Camas, Marilyn, Our guest, you don't know where that maybe you know where that is, but it's up by Park City. And it's right next to you in the mountains. So we took, we put our snowshoes in the back and we drove up through the ice and snow and it's all closed. It Sound kind of like a Led Zeppelin song. In to the land of the ice and anyway. So we uh, drove up all the way up to like Crystal Lake, close to Mere Lake at 10,000 feet and we went snowshoeing. And there was not another soul around. So we were perfectly socially distanced. And uh, it was amazing. I didn't have it anyway, so that was good. But all right, we're talking too much. we got to get to our, our hostess, I mean, not our hostess, our guestess. <laughs> <laughs> all right, know, you're making me all befuddled. I, we're usually not this crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and introduce our distinguished
1: guest today, Spencer. So excited to do that, Christian. So I want to introduce to you Marilyn Sherman. And if you haven't heard about her, you've probably been, I don't know where you've been, probably under a rock, but Marilyn Sherman is in the speaker world is, um, is, is known. She's one of very few Hall of Fame speakers, which like, I think there's only 182 of them in the world she's been speaking a long time. I remember when I joined and Marilyn, I met you in 2015. I was a guest at the Las Vegas, uh, national speakers association, the Las Vegas chapter. Yes. And you know, what happens, Marilyn is that sometimes, you know, we, we go to these events and I, I got to hear you speak. And I was, as a guest, I was probably on the front row and I heard you give your front row presentation. I was I, I took a ton of notes. I was so impressed. I had no idea who you were. And I'm like, wow, I need to, I need to be like that. But I, I think sometimes we get we get so spoiled at these events. And it, it's like, you know, it's just this Marilyn Sherman. And then everyone's like, you have Marilyn Sherman speaking to you. It's just she travels around the world. And, and when I say around the world, I mean, she does events in France with her husband, who is also French. I think you did that on purpose. So you could travel. The-
2: <laughs> oh,
1: <yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, but she also is in high, high demand with major organizations to give keynotes, to do leadership training and, and workshops. I remember I was with a client at at a, uh, we were having dinner at, at uh, one of the strip hotels and uh, a beautiful restaurant. And there were some people that had come into town to do a, a big association meeting. I think it was the Dental Association, Maryland. And I remember. Yeah, I'm sitting there at dinner. And they're like, oh my gosh, we just had this amazing speaker. It was Marilyn Sherman. i like, you heard Marilyn. And so I, I messaged you on, on Facebook. And, and so everyone's talking about you wherever I go. But it is, uh, we're actually having you come to our chapter in January. And we're so excited to have you. But Marilyn, is she talks about what's called front row leadership. I'm going to have her talk to you about that. But she has had a career in corporate America. She started out training in U.S. and Canada as a road warrior. I mean, she would go on the road five, five cities in a week. And if you've ever done that for five hours a day, brutal, it, it builds up a lot of, uh, it's, it's like this muscle. It's like a, a marathon runner for speaking. Yeah. You develop those chops early on in your career. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you, Marilyn Sherman.
2: Well, thank you very much, Spencer. It's good to meet you, Christian. And uh, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to talk about uh, what we can do to make the world a better place, one team at a time. So,
1: well, and and I know you're good at that, and that's why we wanted to have you on it. So, how we've been talking, you know, I was a little bit rude to our guests in the beginning, Christian and I like to catch up. How are are your Thanksgiving plans?
2: Um, Very small, but very grateful. Um, Things I believe, I'm I'm super optimistic. So it was a day of a small group of friends, and um, we just had a lot of love and forgiveness and joy. It was beautiful.
1: It was beautiful. That's awesome. You also happen to know another very good friend of mine, Jennifer Lear.
2: Oh my gosh! I just spent uh, two hours with her yesterday. We had the longest walk in the beautiful countryside of Las Vegas, where she lives, uh, Country Club Countryside, if you. And it was it was one of those beautiful afternoons where it was or it was a morning afternoon where we had no agenda, we had no time frame. It was just two friends walking in beautiful nature. We we stopped every twenty five minutes to just look look at that be present in the in the beautiful nature and yeah. um it was wonderful i love jennifer lear
1: well she is she's is a good friend and i've i've known her for for many years she uh, actually she and Kristen were part of a workshop that, that we had uh, not too long ago but she's been on our show twice and are you kidding me no and uh, well
2: i'm gonna see her this afternoon so i'll have to
1: Well say hi to her for me she was actually just in utah and she Yes. me what, what can we do here in Utah? And I'm like, sorry, girl. I mean, you can go hiking in the mountains. <laughs> it's uh, it's these it, it are tough times, but uh, anyway, I'm so take glad a stroll
2: that, around your hotel room.
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. And uh, so we we're glad to have you. I'm glad you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. So yes. I would love for you to start off to just as you're meeting with clients. I know you know you're not traveling as much as you normally do mm-hmm. but you're still doing events virtually and you have a yep. great virtual space. Yep. What are you noticing as you meet with clients that they're experiencing now that now that this has been when it started you know Christian remember you, know, you and I were talking about this is going to end. Well, it now looks like it's going to be going for a long time. So what are you hearing now that this has been going on for how many months? I mean well 7 8 months.
2: Yeah, I I'm hearing that people are uh conference roomed, uh, zoom roomed out. And, um, they're, um, they're tired. They're overworked, overstressed, and they're calling me when they want to basically shake up the the individual. You know, I, I don't talk to audiences. I talk to individuals within the audience and I talk to them. I talk to their heart. I talk to their head. I talk to their mind. Um, and the benefit is that ROI goes up as a result because if every individual um, has a mind shift and they they work smarter and they have a better perspective and they're more positive and optimistic, um, all boats rise, right? Everybody's performance goes up. So um, they call me and say, we need to give them some hope and motivation, but we need to do so in a way that doesn't sound motivational speaker swarmy smarmy or whatever that A word Swarmy,
1: is. shawarma <laughs>
2: whatever the word is um and so they call me because they know i'm real and that i um i talk about failures and i talk about perspective and i talk about um there's so much hope and optimism but you have to take responsibility for where you are in your life or where you sit in your life and who you allow to sit with you in your front row of your life
1: Yeah, there's a there was just a, a a big post on LinkedIn talking about just the the burnout, virtual fatigue, yeah, Zoom fatigue. And but here's know, the
2: other thing, Spencer is I'm I was talking to a prospect today who said, "We need your message in January and let's book it." And um, I said, and she was asking me about my fees, and you know, obviously, um, meeting planners aren't paying all the time your full speaker fee as if you were in person. And right. I told her, but here's the thing about virtual, which is really cool. My clients are actually getting a bigger reach from our event because people that couldn't uh, travel to be in person, they're not missing out because um, they could have more people at the event. And because my message is, um, you know, I'm speaking to the hearts and the mind of the individuals, um, every person that's on that, that zoom or teams or whatever platform they use, Everybody has a front row seat.
1: They do. And I was just going to say that because now it, it, I mean, if you think about it in those associations, even those big corporate meetings that you fill those halls, there are people in the back row and yeah. the middle row and, yeah. and, and they can't be front row to you. And it's like, you're nope. right there. And not only that, it's so much more, the, the, the one, I think, redeeming value of the whole virtual experience is people are able to see a piece of you. I mean, I can look back in in, in your little office here. I see be bold, be brave, be brilliant. I see a picture of you in Paris and and I see your little chairs. And so, you know, we're we're seeing a little piece of you. Right. And and that's wonderful.
2: See my water. Got to stay hydrated. We live in the desert.
1: (laughs) right? So I think you're exactly right. I have to ask about the chairs.
0: I'm hearing a lot about front row. I'm seeing chairs lined up behind you there. And you're
2: Marilyn. like, what is this? What is up
0: with the chairs? I know you and Spencer go way back, but this is a first time exposure to me to all of okay. these Uh seats.
2: Welcome to This Is Your Life, Christian. Because let me share with you. Um, let me share with you what I mean by my front row philosophy. My front, front my front row philosophy is that everybody has a choice as to where they sit in their life. And just real briefly, you have three choices in my world. Your three choices are you can sit in the balcony of your life, general admission of your life, or the front row of your life. Balcony seats are not good seats. Balcony seats are you're disengaged. You're feeling left out. You're feeling like nobody appreciates me. I'm wandering around. I'm lost. I, I don't even really want to get up and go to work. I, I what, what is what is the world all about? And um, you know, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I need some worms. I mean, that's a balcony seat, right? <laughs> A better seat than the balcony seat is a general admission seat. And this is where most people are are sort of in their comfort zone. And I wrote a book about getting out of your comfort zone like 20 years ago. Um, So I'm all about being careful that you don't get too comfortable with where you're at because your comfort zone leads to habits that can lead to a rut, which leads to mediocrity. And eventually for me, your rut then will end up putting you in the balcony of your life. So this is where people get too comfortable and they rely on yesterday, last month, last year, and they're not moving ahead in their life. And then there's the front row. The front row is where you get to say, man, I love my seat. I love where I sit. I love what I do. I love who I do it for. I love my purpose in life. I'm purpose driven. I love the fact that I have a positive impact in the world. I am, I have invited people to be in my front row who I love and respect who, and who love and respect me because I know my front row is um, sacred space. So that's what it means to be in the front row. And, um, now that we're, you know, socially distancing our front row looks a little bit different. You know, we're doing a lot of virtual stuff. We're doing things differently. We have protocols in place, but the one thing that we all have in common is that at the beginning of COVID, we fell off our game. Can you relate to that? Either Spencer or Christian, can you relate to feeling a little bit off your game? And you you had expectations that were now new for you. And it's like, oh my gosh, my speaking calendar is wiped clean. So there goes job security type of thing. Um, Your teams, for those of you listening today and watching today, your teams are completely asking questions that you have zero preparation to answer. Um, So it felt like we individually were off our game, yet it seemed like everybody else was on their game, which is not true because 2020 has seriously looked like this. This, and what I'm showing is a, a pile of, of chairs. So the, the front row is um, is not really a row anymore, it's just a pile of chairs, but there's hope. <laughs> there is hope about uh, where you sit and who you sit with. So Christian, does that sort of give you an overview of what I mean by my by my front row philosophy?
0: I love it. I love it. It does give me uh, it does give me a visual. I'm glad we were recording this on video for those who are listening on audio. um, Thank you very much, uh, Marilyn, for explaining it uh, so so well. It actually reminds me of uh, a story. I've been doing another podcast, which has been looking back at the Salt Lake 2002 games. And in this podcast, I interview different people who worked on those games. I worked on those games as well. That's why I'm doing it. One of those people, she was invited to help out with the torch relay in Washington, D.C. on Christmas Day. And they got a they got a tour like at five o'clock in the morning of the White House. And after the tour, they they went into the east wing of the White House and there was going to be some kind of a, a briefing there. And so this person took her place in the back of the room standing up because you feel like, well, all the important people need to be on the front row, right? Yep. Well, a secret service person said, would you like to have a seat? And she said, no, no, it's okay. You know, I'm happy to just stand back here. I'm just a normal event person. No, no, you can come sit down. And so what did he do? He took her to the front row and he sat her down and she was just sitting there by herself. And a few moments later, someone came and sat next to her. And that person was Condoleezza Rice. And she looked at this person wearing her torch relay Olympic uniform. She said, do you work for the Olympics? Yeah. Oh, that is so amazing. And then they had this big conversation about how amazing it was to work in the Olympic games. And she's just thinking, I'm just a little peon. Like, what am I doing here in the front row? But uh, I appreciate that we're talking about the front row today. Cause it made me think of that little story. So.
2: I love much, that man. story. I love that story because I've interviewed so many executives and I asked them, you know, what, uh, what's your favorite front row seat that you've ever been in? And I was talking to somebody who's literally the president of Sodexo North America, which is
1: largest food huge company,
2: huge, huge. And yeah. she said, Uh, Nothing ever good happens in the back of the room and you meet the most interesting people in the front row. And excuse me, isn't that the truth? I have another one that I just heard about recently where a woman was displaced on her job. And so she humbled herself to take on um, Uber and Lyft driving to supplement, you know, to feed her family. And um, so she was just as optimistic and just as energetic driving around for Uber and Lyft as she was in her job, even though it paid a minuscule compared to what she was making in the past. And she literally met somebody on a 20 minute drive who also shared the same energy and hope and drive. And it ended up that they both knew somebody that could help each other. And they ended up signing a multimillion dollar uh, contract uh, distribution for a script in Hollywood. All all because this woman humbled herself to say, my front row seat has changed. What do I need to do? Who cares if they if they find out I'm doing this service position of driving around? Um, and it turned into like a, a like a, a miracle of meetings, I mean, of all people. Uh, they, they both had something of value that could help each other. And it turned into a beautiful relationship. And um, I, and that, and that became a front row seat, but we have to humble ourselves to say, okay, what do I need to do now to make the best of the seat that I'm in right now? Because yep. here's my philosophy. Just a second, Spencer. I'm, cause I'm on a roll, man. I'm on a no. roll. <laughs> when you don't like your seat in your life, you have two choices. Number one, change your seat. Don't complain about it. Don't, you know, gossip about it. Don't call your friends and, you know, talk about how bad it is. Move, move your seat. The other option is change the perspective about the the seat that you're in and realize that whatever seat that you're in it's so much better than probably 95 percent of the people in the world so shift your perspective about the seat that you're in and all of a sudden you're like wow I'm liking my seat now because it could always be worse
1: i I love that and I love the fact that you know you talk a lot about personal responsibility I do too and I, I just think that that is, is 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 a huge part of personal responsibility because I think there's a, part of the challenge we have right now is, you know, social unrest, racial unrest, you know, financial Mm -hmm. insecurity, people are looking outside of themselves right now for solutions. You know, we need to, you know, we need the government to rescue us. And here, this person is not waiting for something else. And and sometimes we have to take a step back to move forward. And that's the humbling part that you were talking about. Yeah, I love the fact that she just she put everything into what she had. To me, that's the front row philosophy. Yes, right? yes. So she yes. put everything into what she had to being an Uber driver, not feeling sorry for herself or or the fact that oh my gosh, my status has fallen. I'm so embarrassed. I hope I don't see anybody that I know. Exactly. And, and that know. really that really impresses me.
2: Isn't that cool? I love stories like that. Now, let me tell you that I haven't always been. Uh, perfect. I will tell you that you know. I'm a life. I'm a life. I mean, <laughs> I mean surprise, surprise. <laughs> but I was at a two day event where um, I uh, cause I'm a lifelong learner and I love going to events. I love the national speakers association. I love uh, certain coaches out there who put on events, not all of them, but I, you know, so I'm sitting at an amazing event that Jane Atkinson um, from Ontario, Canada, she was putting on a two day event. So I didn't know a lot of people there. And of course I'm sitting in the front row because that's where life is lived. And I noticed there's some like other cool young hip hit people around and i'm enjoying the vibe of the whole day
1: other than you you mean
2: you're very sweet you're very sweet so the next day my stuff was still in the same front row seat and i noticed um an older guy that had put his stuff next to mine and i'm like oh that was my first thought (laughs) oh i wanted to sit with the young cool kids and then I thought, Marilyn, how, I mean, quickly, Marilyn, how shallow can you be to be so judgmental of this guy just because he's a lot older than everybody else in the room by probably 20 years? And so I just, I, I, I gave myself a little slap in the face and said, okay, suck it up, girlfriend. So I went and I sat next to him, introduced myself to him. And I thought, oh, there, there, I'm going to be like helpful to the old guy. And then I heard him speak. Oh my gosh. He was by far the most fascinating person in the room. Why? Because he had a story yeah. when we let go of our own ego and about what we get. And in fact, what can we learn, switch it to, what can we learn from people? What can we, what can we do to serve others and then learn from others? It shifts everything about the people that are in your front row, whether you invited them there or not. And I found out that this guy, when he spoke, he he told a story about being a young intern At the hospital, and because he was only an intern doctor at the time or a resident, whatever you call it, um, at the hospital, he had to work on a day when everybody else took the day off because the president was coming into town. And he was feeling a little bit sorry for himself because he had to work that day, and he was the resident emergency doctor on staff, whatever. And then suddenly the doors of the emergency room opened up and tons of people and tons of chaos, which they're used to in an emergency room. And in fact, it was JFK being wheeled into his emergency room. He was the last person on earth to be in the presence of JFK before he died from an assassinations bullet or yeah, from assassination. Wow. Hello. So do you see what happens in our life where we make judgments of people because of the way they look, the way they walk, how they are, who they are? When in fact, if we just let go of all that judgment and invite them to our front row or change our perspective, if they're in our front row and ask a question, this world would be such a better place because the world right now is pretty hostile. Am I right? I mean, there's a lot of hostility going on. And I like to say, and you can quote me on this. It's better to be, um, you can't be um, curious and defensive at the same time. So if you have someone that's in your presence and you look at them without even talking to them and get defensive and angry and frustrated, why not just stop, shut it down and then be curious. Even if people who are different than you, with different opinions in you, with different political ideations in you, you simply say, interesting. How'd you come up with that? and you do it from a sincere place of inquiry as opposed to judgment.
1: Talk about that, Marilyn, cuz this is this is great. As so we're talking about in our personalized but this concept is so important in, in teams that work together. Yeah, And I think one of the things that makes some of the most successful teams successful is the ability to see things differently, yes. but that sometimes creates yeah. chaos or yeah. dysfunction yeah. or disagreement. We need yeah. that. So how can, how can you take this philosophy as you're working with a team, uh, you know, cross functional or any mm-hmm. type of team scenario? Cause I think this is very, very important for people to hear.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think it's the the leader's responsibility to pull from each individual on that team. What is their strength to be on that team? Why are they even on that team? And unfortunately in our society, it's usually the, the extroverts, um, the ones in team meetings, the ones who um, speak up, have no problem giving opinions. It, it, And it may look like they are more valued than the quieter, more introverted people who are not as open um, and willing to speak up. It is the leader's responsibility to remind the entire team that everybody is here for a reason. Everybody brings individual skills and talents to the table and we need to honor that. So it's the leader's responsibility to shut down the people who try to um, overtake, uh, team meetings and really pull from the people who are not as willing to be so, um, open with their thoughts and ideas, pull it out of them. Even if it means talking to them one-on-one and say, Hey, listen, there's going to be an opportunity in our meeting for you to speak up. And I want you to be prepared for it because I know, um, You know, Johnny on the spot over there can roll over everybody, including me. So I want you to be prepared because I'm going to I'm going to protect you. But I want everybody to hear your ideas because you're just as brilliant as Johnny over there. So we need to cultivate a culture where you have inclusivity and you remind people. Guess what? Not everybody's like you. Not everybody wants to hear you talking all the time. Not everybody um, who is quiet um, is quiet because they don't have good ideas. So we're all on this team, and it's the manager's responsibility to pull pull out of people their
1: brilliance. Well, sometimes the, those great suggestions, and sometimes the dynamics are that those extroverts speak first, and they get the conversation going in yeah. one direction. So that creates a group think, right?
2: Yes, yes. And
1: the challenge with that is that it's typically the people who are more reserved in thinking are actually maybe have a different perspective, but they don't yeah. want to create what is sometimes considered, uh, you know, dissension or not going with the the group. So they don't want to create that, that contention when that's exactly what may be needed.
2: Yeah. So how
1: you bring that out and help that help the team make that safe is so important. And how do you do that in your experience?
2: For one thing, it's a very good point, Spencer. What what needs to happen is for there needs to be a culture of it's okay to have bad ideas and it's okay to fail because so many times people are silent and not because they're afraid that their idea is not good enough or they're afraid their suggestion isn't good enough and they're um, afraid that what they have may fail. Take away the fear and say, you know what? Let's have a bad idea brainstorm. Let's come up with the worst ideas possible.
1: Yes, you've got to shut down the critical mind. Let's get all the ideas out. And what happens is we want to start. Well, that won't work. Stop talking about what will and won't work. And yeah. get all the ideas. Out exactly.
2: Because you want to celebrate the participation and the creativity and the mind expanding ideas. Um, and then and then you can decipher okay, let you know, we're not gonna have flying cars by next week. So we're gonna table that for now. You know what I mean? So there's no judgment when what? you come up with these ideas and wow. then really talk about failure. It's okay to fail because in failure, we come up with the diamonds in the rough that. that that give us the shift that we need. I remember when I worked for a finance company, I was in a management training program and I made a horrible mistake in accounting. I was off by, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars in the accounting piece that I was responsible for. And I was so devastated when my boss pointed out to me and he wasn't devastated at all. He said, Marilyn, the fact is, um, I know you're upset because it was such a huge mistake. But guess what? Because it was so huge, I know you will never make this mistake again. So he had no judgment that I made the mistake because he said the only judgment would come is if you made that same mistake again. So you must learn from it.
1: Do you remember what Michelle Theory said, uh, um, Christian, about the, the the leader in Saudi Arabia. He said. I encourage you to make first mistakes. Yeah. First mistakes.
0: First mistakes. Yeah. First mistakes. I, okay, I have a, I have a thought, and being new to this concept of front row, I may be completely off base. So Marilyn, if I say something that's completely stupid, uh, you can call me on it, and if okay. uh, it's really, really bad, then we can edit it out of this podcast. <laughs> but on the on the idea of seating. Uh, in in the major sport event space, we we have what is called accredited seating, right? And in accredited seating, you have certain sections of seats that are allocated to people that are credentialed. They could be athletes, they could be media, they could be broadcast, they could be sponsors, they could be um, part of the um The organization, you know, the the management team, the leadership, the executives, you could have seats that are set aside for VIPs, whatnot. In in the Olympic space, this has been a problem for some time because the seats don't often get used. So you end up with, uh, you know, large swaths of empty seats that don't look very good on camera. And um, it also limits the revenue that the local organizers can can generate because they have a bunch of empty seats so the idea of the front row i think is really fascinating from an organizational perspective to open it up so you don't you don't have this wasted space and opportunity in your organization for for people who feel like they are entitled to certain privileges who don't necessarily take advantage of it if you open it up to the to the broad diversity of people and allow everybody to participate, then your organization will be more profitable. You'll generate yep. more revenue in your organization yeah. because you're yep. actually using the seats that are available and you haven't closed some of them off.
2: Yeah. Well, they, uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee or whoever's in charge of those accredited seats can learn from Las Vegas. I live in Las Vegas and every single night they have a whole section for the whales and whales are the high, high earners and the high betters, and not all of them. I mean, they want on a whim to be able to give front row tickets to Jennifer Lopez or Lady Gaga, um, but not all of them come. So what they have is last minute seating and they and everybody in town knows about it. So you just show up and right up to showtime, there may be an opportunity to buy those front row seats that have not been used by the whales that the hotel has held back. So it's again, it's a communication issue. If you want an accredited seat, um, this is the, this is the, the, uh, you know, up until like five minutes before showtime or whatever it is, uh, you can have the seat. Otherwise we have a waiting list of people, you know, it's something like that, but it happens every single night in Vegas with shows. So yeah, you don't want to waste those. And I've been in the general admission seat before where an usher came up to me and said, you want to go closer to the front? I'm like, yes. And they lead me to the empty seat because they would rather have those seats up front filled.
1: So, you're, you're grateful for that experience.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: You know, I, I actually, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Christian or marilyn but I used to manage live theater in Myrtle Beach. We had a 2,700 seat theater called the Palace Theater. We'd bring in acts like, um, gosh, we brought in John Tesh. We'd bring in Broadway musicals, the Radio City Christmas Spectacular, the second location ever outside of New York. And, and so mostly, you know, Broadway type stuff. And I had house tickets that were my own. I had a set of four. I had them on the third row though, and the reason, not the front row, I had them on the third row. I know this is a little different than what you're saying, is because I could see the whole stage, and you were still like the front row, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I remember taking my daughter to New York, and um, we went to Wicked. She was 16 years old. This was, gosh, 16 years ago. And we we applied for the lottery. We got the second row. It was awesome because we could we were back a little ways and but we could see. But the thing is, is we were so excited to be there. I know that there are some people that you give those house seats to. And it seemed like for me, when I gave those away, I got the most complaints for people who didn't pay for the show compared to those who paid top dollar to be on the front row. Yeah, Yeah. Have you seen that dynamic at all in in organizations or, or people's lives?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, just think of the perspective of people that ask speakers for a discount. It's usually the people that want me for half price that are the biggest pains. Um, and I want <laughs> I want you to know that the front row is a is a concept um, yeah. because our listeners today and the people that are watching today they like a friend of mine, Connie Podesta, she's like, Marilyn, I don't really like the front row concept because I'm a pretty assertive woman and I hate sitting in the front row. It's a concept. It's a concept, Connie, because the ultimate front row seat, because I know maybe Christian, maybe you're even thinking this, wow. It seems kind of um, selfish to be like in the center of attention in the front row, but But the ultimate front row seat, the ultimate front row seat, which is why I believe I was put on this earth is to be what I call an usher because the best seat in the house is where you live your life in such a positive, impactful, um, inspiring way that other people are motivated and inspired to move closer to their front row seat, knowing that you are leading by example in your front row. So I'm not having any judgment as to what people determine their front row seat is. My thing is I want people to know that they deserve a front row seat in their life, which means they need to define what it looks like. And then ultimately, Um, the front row seat is where you get to share, like, for example, I like to say, um, when you change your seat, you change your life, but really when you change your seat, you change someone else's life because you are illuminating the path for someone else to live their life in the front row. And then if you think about it, the ultimate front row is actually a circle where we're all, we are all in this together. I love it. Can I get an amen?
0: Amen. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. That's a yeah, five-star amen for me. Totally.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so I really love in my, in my speeches and my keynotes, the whole thing is about, you know, taking responsibility for where you sit in life. Um, But at the very end, I hit them with the twist and the twist is it's really not about us. It's about us illuminating the path, just like an usher Spencer, like when you were uh, hosting live theater and Christian, when you, when you usher people to their stadium seats, watching the Olympics, which I was there for the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. I mean, I love being in the Olympics. It's uh, being in the Olympics. I love watching the Olympics. Olympics, whether live or on tv so um there's always an usher always in every theater in every um, live event in every stadium there is an usher with two things knowledge of where all the seats in the house are and a flashlight and they Isn't look that- at your They look at your ticket and they say, follow me. And they lead you to the most direct path to your seat because they are illuminating a light in that flashlight. You and I, we are put on this earth to be ushers in my my belief to illuminate the path for others, to leave the world a better place, to be positive influence of other people without even realizing um, that we're doing it. So we have that opportunity every single day to usher others to their front row, however they define it for them.
1: I think that's beautiful and you know we are that's that's the role of leadership and that yes. takes us back to the question I asked you earlier how can we it's through service to yes. our to our team members that helps the team perform yes. at a higher level because we're shining the way not you know it it takes work right now the work is a little bit harder of course. it seems like we're working longer we have a little bit of fatigue But this is the part that we get to serve and and really love each other. We have to do more of that because we need more ushers in the world today.
2: And one practical thing that people can do right now is just reach out individually to the people on your team. And just with all sincerity, say, how you doing? Tell me what's going on. Yeah. I, I know you've got kids at home. I know you're a single mom. I know, I know this about you. How are you holding up? And then be transparent say, I know I get it. It hasn't been easy for me, but, um, I want to be there for you and here are the resources that our company has to offer. Um, and then give them some direction, you know, because like I said, um, in a previous episode that that you may have watched, I talk about the five stages of loss that I learned from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. We are collectively in our society, everybody's going through those five stages of denial, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. And what people need to know is that people don't go through these in a linear fashion. You don't have to go through all first four stages before you get to acceptance of our new reality. Um, And one day you could be in full acceptance mode and creative and innovative. And the next Day, you're feeling like a little bit depressed, and and you add to the frustration because you start to get guilty that you're feeling depressed, and. Like no, you don't have to feel guilty. Recognize it. Five stages. There, it's it's loss, and you are entitled to feel this sense of loss of normalcy and loss of routine and a loss of going to work without worrying about protocols being in place. So leaders need to know what those five stages are and to treat every individual on their team with uh, compassion to check in with them and to let them know you're not alone. Things are going to be OK. And I'm going to help you get to where you need to be to feel good about where we are, where we are and what we're doing.
0: That's perfect. So as leaders, basically, we need to take the flashlight yes, and, and uh, help these yes. people, our, yes. our staff, our employees yes, uh, to find their to find their seat on the front row.
2: Because people are lost right now.
0: All right. Well, Marilyn, this has been a revelation. I know, I know you've got to run, uh, your time is limited, but we really, really appreciate you coming on to our humble little podcast and, and sharing so much really timely and relevant and important and impactful insight. If people want to learn more about what you do, uh, how you might be able to help them, how you can guide them as their usher, uh, to the next stage of growth for their organization or what have you, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you?
2: Um, my website is Maryland and it's Maryland, like Monroe, not Maryland, like the state, um, Sherman.com like Sherman tank. And, um, and they can also reach out to me directly An email. I answer all my emails, Marilyn at Marilyn And I am here, I'm open, I'm available. And the nice thing about virtual is doesn't matter where I am in the world, I can connect with people and um, help them be an usher and shine the light for others on their
1: team. I love your website by the way. So go, <laughs> go check it out. It's a, it's wonderful. And, one of the things I didn't mention is, you know, the four books that you've written on on leadership on front row. There's so much knowledge and information that you have. And, and it's it's very clear of why you are a Hall of Fame speaker. Thank you so much for your willingness to come and be part of our podcast.
2: My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. So um thank you for having me. You've kind of like helped me get in the front row today. So I love talking about this. <laughs> I love reaching out to your all of your guests and I, I hope something I said today helped move them closer to their front row. So thank you, Spencer, for asking me. Thank you, Christian, for hosting and um, God, uh, I'll see you all in the front row.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon.